leadership beyond a definition, the boundless potential to engage, to encourage, uplift, and guide, conversations about growth, Leadership Unscripted with Dr. Virginia Hardy. Welcome to Leadership Unscripted, navigating your leadership journey. Joining me today is Dr. Connie Book, the ninth president of Elon University. Dr. Book began service as Elon president on March 2018, bringing more than 20 years of higher education leadership to the university. Dr. Book has a deep belief in the transformative opportunities of higher education and a primary commitment to student growth and development. Welcome, Dr. Book. So um, what I would like to know is um, if uh, you could please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know that you are um, a granddaughter of Louisiana sharecroppers and kind of talk about your story a little bit and then we'll come in and ask some specific questions about how you get from you got from point A to point B. Sure, happy to. So one of the um... The things that was probably the most formative in how I approach the world is that I'm one of nine kids. So my parents grew up, um, they are um, children of sharecroppers as farmers in Louisiana. And um, my mom had nine kids in 11 years and I'm number six oh, wow. in the family. So uh, <laughs> that big family and both of my parents um, ended up in the field of education. So okay. it's, it's no wonder that um, I would end up being attracted myself to higher education and then, um, you know, from a faculty member to an administrator and eventually now president here at Elon University. Wow. So uh, your parents were both in education, you say? Yes. My mom, that, my dad was a, an elementary math teacher. And then went back to school. He 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 went to school on the GI Bill. He served in the Air Force, but he would eventually go back, earn a PhD, and become a um, an an administrator for the state of Louisiana in the Department of Education. And my mom was a nurse, and then he and then you know was a floor nurse for much of her life. But then would end up teaching at the local community college in the. Um, LPN program. Oh, wonderful. Great. You know, there's there's a little similarity there that um, I actually am the youngest of eight <laughs> kids and my parents had um, had eight children within a very short uh, time span as well. I think we're all about two years apart for, um, for, for the most part. We're all two years a distance between each of us. And uh, my uh, my folks uh, were had some also has some sharecropping background. So, so, so a lot of similarity there. I say coming from a big family teaches you the art of negotiation and compromise. I, you know, ironically, I said that uh, just last night to a group of students. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, let's talk a bit about how you use uh, the art of compromise and negotiation in your leadership um, journey. So, um, how how is it that you actually do inspire and motivate your um, your team? Now, you, as a provost, I know it was probably a different um, angle. And now, compared to being the president of Elon University, I do think uh, one of the real awarenesses I've had on my leadership journey is how critical uh, having a, 
a team is to accomplishing whatever vision or strategic goals that you have. And I am really invested in my team's success because if I'm going to be successful uh, and Elon University is going to be successful, that team needs to be able to operate and perform at the highest levels. So I invest and I do it in very concrete ways, meaning I invest financially in their professional development, making conferences and coaching um, and leadership uh, opportunities available to them. And then as a team, we also are involved in uh, professional development. So we bring in a coach to work with us as a team uh, and building essential skill sets like listening effectively, feedback, receiving feedback and giving feedback, understanding the underlying motivations for each member of our team. Uh, so those are all aspects of ways in which uh, we're working to, to have the most effective team that we can. Okay. And I, I, um, it does take a team to, to lead, um, or take a team to get the things done that you, that, that need to be done for an institution, um, such as Elon, how do you go about picking, choosing your, your, your teammates? And then how do you navigate all that happens on a team? Cause there's going to be some good times and some not so good times. Um, so how do you navigate all of that? When, uh, I do think, you know, one of the important things we do in, in higher education, since the work is people, is about people, whether it's in the classroom or um, on a leadership team, that you're, you know, that the work gets done through people, um, is that we, you know, is selecting who's who's the, the right member of a team and, and the right partners. I, I will say that I'm very much aware of Elon's culture. And one of the ways I continue to stay in the middle of Elon's culture is by having uh, committees and a lot of voices around the table so I can hear the different perspectives. And I'm a believer that when you use those voices and that feedback to help you select the right teammates, that you, you don't go wrong that uh, I find that most of the mistakes happen generally when we don't have enough voices at the table. So there's some mm -hmm. unintended consequence that we didn't see because we didn't have enough feedback um, happening. So I use, and, and this is true, the research shows that women tend to have larger committees, mm -hmm. tend to engage more voices in, in process. And, and I find that to be true about, about my leadership style. Yeah, I agree with you on that note. Um, I One of the questions, the things I always ask my team is whose voice is missing from this conversation? So, yeah. Yes. So, so you, you brought up gender. So let's, let's, let's go there for, for the next question. Um, you, you've, you've risen throughout the ranks um, of, um, uh, in higher education. And I think you were the first um, woman provost at the Citadel. And with all of that in, in mind, um, some there, there's, there seems to be a conversation, there, there have been conversations about um, characteristics that women exhibit as leaders and characteristics that men exhibit as leaders. 
exhibit as leaders. And sometimes there's a positive connotation for men and a negative connotation for women for some of the, for some of the same skill set, perhaps, or behaviors. How have you experienced that? If, and if so, uh, how, how have you managed it and how do you help other women to manage through some of those differences of, uh, of, of perceptions? I have had a few experiences. We actually, we had a, uh, an event at Elon and I, and this is true when I was a faculty member and this could also be said about my classroom. I think that the tendency is to lean into the idea that women would be, take a nurturing position, you know, that our response would be, uh, a nurturing one. So in class, when I was teaching and I would have uh, a zero tolerance kind of moment, you know, I could see the confusion on their face that I wasn't being more nurturing. And, uh, and I, I do think that nurturing can be a powerful leadership position, but it's not intuitively mine. Um, and, and so I, my, you know, and this maybe comes from being in a large family is that mine is to push back. That's my first, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you push on me, I'm going to push you back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I have had that moment. I will say that when you read the literature about leadership and, you know, we have some icons of iconic kind of leadership. You think about John Wayne, right? This iconic mm -hmm. kind of leader and, uh, you know, that those characteristics do tend to be largely male and when, or are embodied in masculinity. Yes. And so, it, it, and here's another example from that. I, I always say that one of the most powerful things I do is change my position. And people may think that that is a weakness, right? Because some of the traditional leadership persona would be uh, very much, I've decided, and this is how we're, we're going to do things. But I always have believed in, partly because I believe in the power of education, that if I learn something new, then I'm going to reserve the right to change my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I see that as a strength, not as a weakness, right? Adopting this kind of growth mindset, uh, and if I, I absolutely believe because we live in a really dynamic world that, of course, we should be changing our mind because we're constantly learning something new and um, have have new awareness because of that. So that's a good example of something people traditionally think of as a weakness. But actually, I find it to be one of uh, a great leadership strength is the willingness to say, hey, we didn't know that when we made this decision and, and now we know some additional information. And so we're going to take a different direction. Yeah, that's, that's actually uh, interesting that you would say that, um, the, that it's a, it is a strength to change your mind as you get new information that impact the decision-making. Um, everybody's willing to do that. And, uh, uh, which is quite interesting. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes, my my personal view is not the best one for the institution. And I think with the pandemic, I've particularly um, felt the impact of this where I, you know, when you're making decisions for the whole, 
and recognizing that there's lots of personal health is a very personal um, dimension. And so I've had moments where I had to set aside my own experience and, uh, you know, make decisions that were better universally for the institution. So let's let's go there for a second, um, President Book, and talk about um, um, COVID, yes, or just stress and pressures um, in general. Um, at least I, from my experience, particularly at the height of COVID last year, there was a time when it didn't matter what decision we, the administration, somebody was unhappy. And, and, and at times, everybody was unhappy yeah. <laughs> with the decision. Um, so and there's always what the issue is, there's going to always be uh, opinions and stakeholders to whom we are held accountable. How do you manage um, the pressures and the, um, the, the requests and the ask coming from your various stakeholders? Uh, so I'll I'll speak about it on two levels, Dr. Hardy. One is I'll I'll share um, my the work, how I do it, the work, and then I'll talk about how to, I manage stress personally. Okay. Uh, I do uh, when we are in the middle of having to make strategic decisions, and like you said, that knowing you're you're not going to have a hundred percent congruence you know, on those decisions. What I do think is important is to offer transparency and accessibility to the decision maker. So um, last year we had to make, for example, decisions about reopening. And there were a group that felt like we should not resume our campus-based instruction. And so in order to... Um, create space for understanding that decision what, uh, and to make myself available, we did some live interactions um, with the community and the parents and the students. We did a series um, and we took live questions and I had all members of the VP, my vice presidents um, here. And I think that it helped ease a lot of stress. I think information is a is a stress reliever. And so having this moment where the community could ask us, you know, the why behind many of our decisions, uh, I think was really helpful and healing to our community as they watched a, a committed group of people navigating very difficult decisions and how we were landing on, on the decisions that we were. So transparency and accessibility to the decision maker. I have two, uh, I have a physical suggestion box on campus in the center of our um, student uh, union. And I also have a digital um, suggestion box. And those two are really important tools in allowing uh, accessibility and, and the exchange of information. On a personal level, uh, I tend to um, have put my head down and work harder and all of my assessments show that. So one of the things I have to do when 
um, in a very stressful moment is to be aware that that is not necessarily going to lead to uh, successful decision making. And in fact, I think if I get too tired, um, it's it can be dangerous. So I for stress management, I make sure that I um, and I use the expression halt that I don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. Uh, and if I feel myself getting in, in, in that pattern, I take a break, halt. Um, I, and one of the other simple things I do is I try to walk every morning. Okay. Um, and just, just this practice of being in nature, I think, can be really healing, uh, especially last year with the pandemic. Yeah, uh, we read a um, we had a um, a book read, and I can't remember the title of the book right now, unfortunately. But it was about how do you take advantage of nature to help with mindfulness and relaxation, which is what you're talking about. But I like your acronym HALT. Hunt, um, make sure you're not hungry, you're not too angry, you're not lonely, you're not tired as you make your decisions and and processing of things. Uh, so we're going to make sure that we we stress HALT. Uh, and give credit to, to President Connie Book there. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does, um, you, you mentioned self-awareness and, and knowing, your, knowing who you are and what your stressors are and your, and your triggers. I, I am a believer that self-awareness is, an, is a very important trait that, um, that leaders need to have. How, how, how does one become self-aware? How have you or become self-aware and continue to uh, to engage in that self-awareness. I agree that self-awareness, right, is one of the most critical things to being successful. And it's really difficult to get, uh, especially as you have more authority, to get good feedback. Mm -hmm. um, because people, you know, are nervous about giving the boss feedback that they that she may not like and may impact um decisions downstream that they may not like, you know, yes. so uh, being keeping that feedback loop healthy. So, uh, and I mentioned my suggestion box. I mean, part of that is to allow people to give feedback. Um, I often ask for it. And I do try to create conditions that allow for healthy feedback. For example, I have a few expressions I use on campus. I'll say to the community, let's not love Elon so much that we don't want Elon to be better. So what is it that can make Elon better? Right, just to call out the tension they feel about being critical of an institution they know is working very hard to, to do the right thing. Um, I also share when I get feedback, how grateful I am for it you know, and who provided it. So and so, you know, came forward and told us that we needed to improve our student health clinic or whatever it is. And we, we heard that and we're making these investments and it's making us better. So thank you for that feedback. And, uh, you know, to accolade people who have the courage to step forward and, and to give, give feedback. I also, um, do use third-party resources. So we do. I do bring in, if you have the ability, we don't have a huge budget for it at Elon, but I do, um, when I can afford it, bring in a coach um, mm -hmm. to help provide third-party perspective. 
a lot of times it's colleagues at other institutions that are willing and no charge to, to provide feedback and, and work with your team. Um, so I, you know, that feedback loop isn't, it is the critical thing for uh, continuous improvement. Yeah. And, um, and then I think leaders have to be, um, yes, open to that feedback, um, be it positive or negative, and which, which requires um, some vulnerability and some courage, I believe, uh, to, to, and both of those to be able to get that kind of feedback. Yeah, I, I think about that, about how can I um, demonstrate I'm open to feedback? Mm-hmm. So I do work, like I got some feedback about, um, I like the work. So when I sit down at a table, I'm asking a lot of questions and I want to get in the middle of the work. And it's not always good as president to provide my feedback early. You know, that sometimes I need to sit and let the rest of people discuss it because if I jump in there with my thoughts, it will quiet the room, especially if they're leaning in a different direction. So one of the things I'm working on is is, you know, keeping my feedback until others have had a chance to share. And so I can hear it too, listen. So not to be too early in my process of decision making. So when you when you, when you want to get into it, right? And some it may be perceived that you're getting into the weeds, but but for you it's helpful. Um, do your your colleagues, your uh, your employees around the table um, feel like not that they don't want you there, but they don't want well, at least they don't want you there right now at that particular moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, they just encourage me, you know. And I think I, you know, the feedback I got was let the discussion go a little longer. Mm-hmm. You know, that I've been at Elon, I left Elon to go to the Citadel, but in total, I was here before. And, you know, this is my 22nd year here. So, you you know, you can learn a lot about an institution. And so I I need the newer people's perspectives. And Mm -hmm. so not to to jump in too soon and let the, the newer folks provide some of their observations. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give a, a shout out to you. I, the, the fact that someone told you that uh, and felt comfortable enough that they could share that feedback with you of, of let it play out and don't jump in too soon, um, I say is a testament to you and that the relationship that you've built and given people permission to share feedback honestly and openly with you. So thank you. I, I, on behalf of, of, of your employees, thank you for that, actually. Yes, thank you. And that's strong as a leader. So I know that um, you see education and higher education specifically as being transformative um, in, in people and has been for, for you, of course. Um, but let's talk about the, the notion of transformation as a um, from a leadership perspective, how are how do you, as a transformative leader, um, how do you help the organization to uh, to realize that it needs to change and when it needs to change? Your one of the adages you said was, you know, don't love Elon so much that you're not willing for it to improve or to grow. Um, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you push that a little bit? You know, we have used a process of 10 year strategic plans. 
And I think one of the most powerful tools a leader has is in storytelling, you know, is helping the community vision what the future looks like. So we have a comprehensive, um, you know, shared process in developing the strategic plan. And for example, one of the new programs we've launched here is nursing. And people were struggling to imagine nursing. So, it, you know, when I talk about it as a leader, I will say I can see our future and I see students walking across campus in their scrubs as they go from clinical to the to the classroom and helping them see that. Uh, I sometimes help them see we're, we're building regional centers in Los Angeles and uh, New York and D.C. And, oh, wow. and so I help them see it. You know, uh, our students who will be, you know, working on film uh, stages and in media um, offices and advertising agencies in New York and just trying to to help them see our future, I think, is really some of the important work. Uh, because we know if we can see it, right, if we can envision that, then we'll, we will achieve it. Uh, and that they will be a part of the the key part in helping us deliver on those goals. As as leaders, there are words that people um, um, ascribe to to leaders, right? There's power, um, there's authority, uh, then there's a, there of course the word influence. And I think while they all three might have maybe interchangeable to some extent, they're very distinct distinctively different. But how do you use your power? your authority, your influence as a leader? And is there, and, 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 and in your mind, do you see them as distinctively different actions and behaviors? I think this is the area where women struggle the most. Um, and I think that this would be um, my case as well. Uh, you know, the research shows most women use a servant leader mm -hmm. approach. And in a servant leader model, right, you're empowering others. And I remember telling my advancement. So our chief fundraiser um, in my first year was organizing time for me to make visits and have dinner with mm -hmm. alumni and other stakeholders who provide resources, financial resources to the university. And I told them, nobody wants to have dinner with me. Um, and he was like, no, Connie, they, they want to have dinner with you. You're yeah. the president. And I could not wrap my head around that. And uh, because I, I love Elon and my dinner talk is going to be very much about education and about the stories of students and alumni that inspire us. And mm -hmm. I thought that can't be what they want. <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to be the most entertaining dinner. Uh, but really what they want is to have access to the person who's making the decisions. And it didn't, it was, you know, this was not something that naturally has come to me as a, a leader who ascribes to the servant leader model. Uh, and so part of my challenge has been to get comfortable with the fact that I, I'm, I'm comfortable with the fact that I have the authority 
What I'm not as comfortable with is that that means you want to sit next to me. There is a really good uh, book called Being Pre on Being Presidential. Okay. And it opens with the observation that while you're president, never forget that the reason you've been invited to the party or to the dinner is because you are president. <laughs> and not to lose sight of that, that, you know, in each of these settings, you have the authority. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and to remember that that's why you're at the table. So it, that has helped me one, be willing to go to the party, <laughs> um, and to understand that my role at the party is as Elon's dis decision maker, you know, for, of course I report to a board, so I'm not right. the, the final decision maker, but from an mm -hmm. operational standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, I'm the president. And so it, it has helped me have a sense of owning that position at, uh, in all settings, not just that with my VP team. So in other, for other leaders, in, in regardless of what, um, what organization they're in, I think that's, that, that, that resonate with them, right? That to understand that the reason you're getting invited to the party is because of the leadership role that in, in leadership position that they may hold. And so in essence, when they, when they're invited to go to the party, but also while they're at that party, they need to make sure that they're representing the organization and speaking from that lens of helping to move that the organization and to move the agenda. Is that what you're, is that what you're suggesting? Yes. Yeah. And to keep that, you know, that recognize, um, to recognize that the mil military has this, uh, you know, expression about you don't want to have to use your stripes. Yes. Right? That, you know, that, yes. you know, there's a lot of influence that happens without a direct order. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I largely lead by example and lead by asking questions. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you, so just recognizing that leadership takes on several different forms and that, you know, that you carry the authority in every setting you're in. So um, there are lots of, of, of um, metaphors used to describe women's experiences in leadership, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, um, there's a glass clip, an escalator, et cetera. Uh, what advice would you give to women uh, as they manage their their own careers and how you manage yours um, as they try to break through to the glass ceiling, regardless of what um, what um, organization they may be in. Um, I'll, I'm going to make uh, a couple of observations on this one, um, and uh, I'll say first that my experience was that I, uh, you know, I would raise my hand when there was a call for leadership. So sometimes it's participating on a special project or taking on a committee assignment. Um, there's so much to be learned, uh, especially as an aspiring leader, that even topics that were outside of my immediate expertise, I would raise my hand to participate. 
Um, and it helped me learn about the different aspects of our campus. So if, uh, for example, one of the first uh, real substantive assignments I got was around career services on our campus. Well, that's not, I'm, I was a faculty member in communications in the School of Communications, very much outside of my expertise. But raising my hand to say, hey, I'll work on that um, mm -hmm. allowed me to learn a whole new set of uh, area of higher education, but it also allowed me to interact with people across the campus that I had not previously met or um, worked with. And so I do encourage every young leader to take advantage of the opportunities to serve on those ground level committees uh, because of the relationships and the knowledge that they provide. If you keep raising your hand and the answer is no, you can't do that, which mm -hmm. happens, right? That uh, yes. is that I do encourage people be willing to leave. And, yes. you know, that sometimes you need to be in a different organization. Um, so be willing to leave and to stretch yourself. And that was the case when I went to the Citadel, you know, that's very different institution. And but I had. I had to be willing to go. And uh, I learned so much at, in my time at the Citadel. So it ended up being such a positive um, moment in my own career trajectory, much greater than I had imagined. And so I really encourage people to um, to be willing to, to leave and, and realign themselves to a different organization if they're not able to, to have those opportunities at their current one. I agree with you about raising your hand. Um, and my early on in my career, um, particularly at the um, in medical within medical education, I did that right, and I raised my hand quite a bit. Um, um, one because I, I had a lot of free time on my hand too, with because uh, I didn't have a family, and so I, I I I wanted to do those things. But it allowed me to do what you just described. One, learn medical education from ground zero, and number two to build solid relationships with a, a, a wide range of people across the um, across the medical school and across the university, which came in handy at certain points in my career. So mm -hmm. I could write about that. Uh, and, and, and women in particular don't always do that for all kinds of reasons. So, so um, I'm gonna move to another question here. Uh, to model the way that leaders need to be clear about their own values and philosophy, you know, we, we need to, I think leaders need to know, you know what are your non-negotiables. Can you share with us what is your leadership philosophy? And has anything changed in your career that has helped you to, to modify that philosophy? You know, people ask me, what, what's your, your vision? And I'll say to make Elon better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. it's not uh -huh. a complicated one. It's my leadership philosophy is I need to uh, add value and, you know, uh, be advancing the institution. And, and if I'm not able to accomplish that, then I'm not the right leader. Mm. And so I take my marching orders from the community, our strategic planning process, which was a very much a organic, a shared governance process lays out the vision for the future of the university. 
And so my my job is to 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 ensure that that vision is realized. Uh, so it, it, it's not a complicated leadership vision. What I do also believe is important as is the sustainability of that vision, meaning I am often thinking about Elon far after my time here. So thinking about it in 50 years and 100 years and was mm -hmm. I a good steward to that leader and that community of 2050, you know, of, of um, 20, the year 2100. Uh, and so I do, uh, one of my values is in, in terms of advancing Elon is making sure that what we put in place is sustainable. Uh, you probably have read in the literature that the average presidency at a university in the United States is, is a little over five years. Correct. And what can happen with that is a desire for a president comes in and wants to have a high impact. And mm -hmm. so what can happen is uh, an immediate strategic plan is put in place, resources are shifted to drive those outcomes, and then that president leaves. And the, the disruption of um, the lack of sustainability in that is, is something that I'm committed to avoiding here at, at Elon. And I'm grateful that the presidents who came before me at Elon were also committed to ensuring um, the university uh, decision-making is sustainable. Um, so um, not a complicated vision and the value of sustainability there. President Book, I don't know that, um, I'm not quite sure how many um, have that same kind of commitment that is not about, you know, your legacy and, and having that quick high impact legacy, but more importantly of preparing the institution for the long-term success and sustainability. I'm not, I don't know that everybody has that kind of a, a commitment and philosophy. So, uh, so I thank you personally for having that and modeling that. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. But it does make me enormously proud. I, I just received the Citadels. I've been away now for four years and I was so excited to see the seeds of, of what we had worked on continuing to flourish Right. And that's good for students. That's good for the future of the university. When you think about the high cost of higher education, those sustainable endeavors that continue to move forward excellence at a pace that, um, you know, doesn't force tuition to rapidly increase or risk that don't put the university's financial position um, and future at risk. I mean, to me, those are all high value propositions for for the, the the higher ed community. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and particularly with higher ed right now and, and just some of the the challenges that higher ed is experiencing, be it public or private, uh, it, we need strong leaders who are who are looking um, forward and, and 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 not just two years forward, but long term. Uh, looking forward to what will it be like and how, and how to establish 
uh, a strong foundation for the institution to be ready for some of the changes that we anticipate coming down the pike. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a bit about um, uh, the fact that you've achieved so much already. And uh, what are you proud of? What are you one of the proudest of in your career? And actually, if I may even ask, what are you proud of so far in your personal life? Well, I have two kids, so that definitely is my point of pride. Yes. My daughter uh, just finished law school and moved back to North Carolina. So Great. I'm excited to welcome her back to, to North Carolina and close to home. And my son is a 2017 grad of Elon and lives and works in Atlanta. So the two of them are definitely um, the points of pride um, that I have. I will say, you know, that, you know, one of the things... Uh, we know is that leadership, when I think about the things I'm most proud of, and this is what I mean a little bit by, I try not to let myself get in the way of what's best for the institution. Mm -hmm. uh, I am really proud of access to higher education. So we have several programs um, that our community and, and I have supported and I'm uh, since I became president and deepened, uh, for example, we have a, a scholarship program here called the Odyssey program, mm -hmm. and it, it's a full tuition program. Um, I'm committed to fundraising for those, and my goal is to get to 400. Uh, since I became president, we've added 100. Um, and so we're at 200 now. So my goal is to get to 400. Well, we have a lot of needs, not just on that program. So I have to spread my time across, but I really, I just know personally how powerful it is to afford a first generation student education. Mm -hmm. It changes their trajectory and it changes their family's trajectory. And I absolutely believe that there's no problem that can't be solved if people are educated and, and you know any world global problem uh and so i i lean into wanting to spend my time on access all the time <laughs> and yes. there's other important things we're doing like um i, I shared about the nursing program mm -hmm. and um so there's curricular improvements there's facility improvements and and other important efforts at the university so uh but my heart is in that access work and um uh, and so i do uh want that to be one of the you know areas that i spend significant leadership energy on something else you and i have in common um is access uh, I do believe that giving individuals access to to an education, even even starting in solid quality education, K twelve, but then post uh, post secondary education, uh, opens up the world to them and the opportunities, uh, and particularly for for some individuals to change not only the trajectory of their of their own individual lives, but the lives of their families. Uh, is it is truly phenomenal and transformative. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very thank you. Uh, thank you and Elon for being committed to that. So uh, leadership in um, in itself is is constantly changing. Um, what do you do to continue nurturing your leadership development and leadership skills? I'll, I'll, one is I practice. 
Meaning mm -hmm. leadership does take courage, you know, that you, you know, I have to practice. Sometimes you practice storytelling because, you know, you're trying to woo people into a vision. Sometimes I practice, I, there's a, another expression I learned at the Citadel is go to the point of friction. And sometimes you're hesitant to, uh, I, I've seen, especially in young leaders, hesitant to, to go to that to ask that question. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that leaders practice, practice going to the point of friction, having the hard conversation. Um, and the practice makes you better. So I, I do practice. Um, and I, every time you practice, and my experience is I'm learning and I'm, I'm getting better, that growth mindset as a leader uh, keeps me reading, keeps, I read Harvard Business Review every month. I, um, I'm, I've got several leadership smart briefs that I, I read. So I'm reading about leadership challenge. Um, as a matter of fact, Harvard Business Review has been very helpful as we see this very dynamic work environment um, mm -hmm. unfold. I also on a daily basis try to um, read not only the Chronicle of Higher Ed and Inside Higher Ed, mm -hmm. but I also want to know how higher education is intersecting with what's happening around the world. So I'll read the Wall Street Journal. I read the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post. Those are my five Chronicle, Inside Higher Ed, WSJ, WAP, WAPO, and the New York Times are my five morning reads. And I, I spend an hour with them every morning to prepare for Elon for the, for the day. Okay, great. So that's a, that is a, um, a ritual, so to speak, that you do each morning is spend that hour getting um, um, kind of updated on what's going on in the world. Yes. That from a work perspective uh -huh. and then from a personal perspective, I, um, I do spend time in the morning and prayer and, mm -hmm. and quiet and have in the pandemic, I've started a 7 a.m. call with uh, other women um, who are spiritually connecting. So, and that, I have to say that saved, we all say it, if we hadn't have been on the phone at seven with each other over the pandemic. And that was a hard commitment for me to make. Uh -huh. uh, I do think leaders, you know, time is our most valuable asset and that you can't replenish it, right? Mm -hmm. There's <laughs> once you withdraw time, there's it's gone. Yeah. So uh, it was hard for me to make that commitment. And it takes about 30 minutes every morning to to do that at seven. Um, but the return has been clarity, stress relief, peace of mind, a sense of of a power. Um, and, you know, a spiritual power in my day. And um, so it has been well worth it um, to do it. So I, I've been grateful to have that in my life. That's great, actually. We've been trying to figure out how to do some kind of a, a women gr women's group and have some connection. Uh, and it's been difficult to get off the ground, but I may try doing it uh, early morning and see if that works for folks. <laughs> yeah, I have found that, you know, as a leader, right, your day has a lot of demands. And so mm -hmm. I, I am an early riser, not, mm -hmm. not, I usually am up by 530. And um, so it's, you know, and I try to be in bed by 10. My phone mm -hmm. pings me to, to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> 
my body pings me about around 10 o'clock. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so one of my last questions for you, um, do you believe that leaders are born or are they developed? I wrote an article on this topic. Is there such a thing as a natural born leader back in, um, you know, when I was in my 20s and I was reading a series of books and there was a character, Ayla, in the books. And this was she was very much a natural, natural born kind of leader. Um, but uh, so I asked that question. My experience is that it is a learned, um, you know, that personally, I think I have learned. What I do also think is I've always been interested in how things work. So I would often wonder who's in charge here. And I, I don't know that everybody is wired to, to wonder about processes and how decisions are made and have a curiosity about that. Um, my father was very much ruled the roost at the, at, in growing up. So I knew he had the authority and um, he, 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 he actually prepared me um, indirectly in a lot of ways about how to navigate male leadership. Uh -huh. um, yes. And I think about that um, in my work today, but uh, so I do think it's probably a combination of both. But if you ask me which one do I lean more toward, and I would say it's learned. Yeah, I do too. I think I do believe that it's it's, a, it's learned behavior. Uh, some people I think may have inherent strengths uh, that they can capitalize on and enhance, but uh, there there are a lot of learned competencies there. So, and then um, what are what are just say three competencies? would you suggest that a leader would need to be um, to be ready, battle ready, so to speak, to uh, to be effective? Um, I do think managing your energy is is one key aspect of leadership. You know, it takes energy to lead a physical an emotional energy because people don't want leaders who are up and down, up and down. They want steady. Mm -hmm. um, and so physical, emotional, and intellectual, just, you know, having the ability to learn, right, for which is what I think of that hour every morning I'm doing when I'm reading, it's a, I'm learning. Um, the other competency that comes to mind is around strategy, uh, being able to uh, uh, have strategic uh, systems in place that allow you to operate at a strategic level. And then being able to articulate to the team what the strategy is. Um, so, you know, I've read on strategic planning, on uh, vision statements, uh, being clear about goals and objectives that you have. And then the other, <laughs> other pieces, and this is what's learned, is this is discernment. So a lot of times during my day, I'm the another military expression is, what are you going to spend force power on? Meaning, you know, you only have the troops that you have. When are you going to send them out? 
Mm-hmm. And so a, a leader has to decide, is this worth spending force power on? Because you're directing teams and nobody wants any wasted time, right? That, um, and also you don't want to miss something, right? Uh, some people, mm-hmm. I don't want to be caught by surprise. Like I, I didn't, I should have put force power on it and I didn't. So that discernment piece, is the other competency. And that probably comes through hard knocks, right? (laughs) A lot of mistakes, you know, and then a lot of successes and each one. So I have a practice of after actioning. So, Uh you know, everything we do, we spend at least five, 10 minutes on post review. Right. Um, And that after action helps build discernment for, for the next time. Great. I like those. So manager able to strategize and able to communicate the strategy and then discernment are your three strategies. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, President Book, we're, we're coming to the, uh, to the close of our uh, podcast of this session and wanted to give you an opportunity. If there's anything else you would like to share with our listeners, any uh, pieces of advice or suggestions you want to offer up. This is your opportunity. Okay, I'll just make one because this I get this question a lot about being willing to take risk. And this is that kind of gut instinct that's honed through culture, through um, reading, through mistakes, right? You know, this mm-hmm. uh, this risk taking. And I... I am a fan of taking informed risk, mm-hmm. right? That's the most we can do as leaders is to review and prepare and then make a decision. And that informed risk taking, I have personally benefited from that. Sometimes things don't go like we plan and that is a growth, growth mm-hmm. opportunity. So adopting that growth mindset but I have found that the, the greatest, and you can read in the literature, the greatest missed opportunities are when people are afraid to take informed risk. So I, I just put that out there for aspiring leaders that there you will need to take risk. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to make sure that the risk I take are well-informed and that if things go south, then to... Um, to shift gears and see it as a growth opportunity. But in that same vein, um, President Book, when when things do go south, that it doesn't it's not it doesn't mean to stop, right? It means just as you said to do the after actioning, and to um, to debrief and figure out what worked, what didn't work, and why, and then reset. That's right, and usually, right? It's never wholesale the wrong decision. Usually mm-hmm. it's pieces of it that didn't work. And so it's about pivoting to, to, you know, to embrace what was working and to tweak and keep making those changes um, that, you know, help you realize your vision. President Book, it has been a true pleasure and honor in talking with you. I've learned quite a bit of, uh, from you and some things I'm going to implement for myself to be truthful. Well, Dr. Hardy, I have really enjoyed it. So I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity and the conversation. So thank you for asking. Thank you, Dr. Book, for joining us today. 
and talking about growth mindset and how important it is to have this mindset in order to be a strong, effective leader and to be able to provide transparency and accessibility, particularly to the leader and how that helps to build a strong team and not only a team, but a community at large. The idea of storytelling and that storytelling helps to envision what the future looks like. And not only that, but how it helps to structure a sustainable future and sustainable success. Your idea around raising your hand, I think resonates with a lot of people volunteering to serve on various committees as those volunteer opportunities actually can help with building relationships, building networks, and also helps an individual to learn more about an organization. The three competencies that you suggested, manage your energy, your energy, be it physical, emotional, or intellectual energy, being able to strategize effectively and then communicate that strategy. The idea about discernment and to learn from your mistakes and allow those mistakes to help you to discern more opportunities. And then to take informed strategic risk is also another important piece of advice. And I think one of the most favorite ones that I have that you share is that in making a decision, halt. If you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, thank you so much, President Book, for joining me today for Leadership Unscripted, Navigating Your Leadership Journey. Thank you for joining Dr. Virginia Hardy today for Leadership Unscripted, Navigating Your Leadership Journey. Are you looking to make the leap from your current role to a leadership position? Or you are a current leader looking to sharpen your edge? Join Dr. Virginia Hardy for new podcast episodes each month for more leadership content meant to inspire, empower, and influence your individual path on leadership development.